0: today is friday july 15th 2022 this is quick start from cbn news i'm dan andros joe biden visits israel we that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a christian perspective if you agree with that mission you can help subscribe to this podcast give us a rating share it with a friend all that fun stuff let's get through the news of the cray as we like to call it together and joining me as always billy Hallowell from cbn's faith wire billy it's friday we're here you
1: did it. I mean, we've been saying it all week. If I know. You stick with us; you are going to get you to Friday. And it is. Done
0: it. It's so true. It's science, as we say. The Quick Start Challenge. Two weeks. We'll get you through your week faster. Don't ask us how we do it. It's just, it's just a talent we have that God gave us, and uh, it's a gift. a spiritual a, gift. It is. You will. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. Coming up on the main thing today, Chris Mitchell and John Stolnes will will break down that uh, trip to Israel from President Joe Biden. But our first thing today, we're going to go through some of the top. Headlines: The Dow plummeted 142 points yesterday as recession fears loom because inflation continues to rise despite the surging interest rates. So the Fed, there's doubts as to whether or not they can sort of keep this thing in check. A Columbus man has been charged with raping a 10-year-old Ohio girl who then had to travel to Indiana seeking an abortion after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. That story's been hotly debated with pro-abortion activists saying that this is a result of ending Roe, while pro-lifers are saying there was an exception for this circumstance. Benny Johnson, the wife of Bethel Church senior leader, Bill Johnson, has died following a lengthy battle with cancer. This was just days after being put in at-home hospice care. She was 67. Her husband Bill says she's now, quote, healthy and free, in postings on social media and Ivana Trump the ex-wife of former President Donald Trump died yesterday at the age of 73 the family said that she was quote a survivor she fled from communism and embraced this country those are some of the headlines happening today you can check out more of those over at cbnnews.com but here's a story I want to take a little bit of a closer look at people are losing faith in public schools specifically Republicans are. And given the headlines, it's no surprise of all the things we're seeing come out of public schools, the explicit content, different indoctrination accusations happening around the country. Just 28% of Americans say they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in public schools, the second lowest figure on record. This is according to a Gallup poll from earlier this week. Republicans who said they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in public schools, that dropped from 34% in 2020 to 20% in 2021 and now 14% in 2022. That is a massive drop, but there is a very much a partisan divide in the views on public schools as 43% of Democrats saying they have confidence in the public school system. That's compared to 14% of Republicans as a 29 point gap. That difference has always been there, but the gap has widened by four points this year. And um, So you're seeing this massive divide, Billy, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for why this could be. What do you think is the main thing driving this?
1: I think it's very clear that COVID woke a lot of parents up and that Mm. we're seeing people um, with that recognition of what might be going on in schools becoming very engaged and not only engaged, but really disturbed by some of the claims. And some of these things aren't just claims. They're things we know have been said or are happening in classrooms. So I, I think that is the driving force here and by the way as you were saying this is not a new issue it's been plummeting but for a long time it's been on the decrease that rapid decrease though i think is driving it's coming alongside with that increase in angst
0: like you said it's a, it's a number of issues and parents because of because of covid they really did have to look into what the schools are doing what they're and and you're seeing now at these hearings a lot of times these city council hearings school board meetings These issues in the school are coming up and, you know, it's almost laughable at times. I saw one just the other day of a dad who was saying, hey, this explicit content was is at our kids library at the school. And he goes to start reading it and they're like, you can't read this and without even a hint of the irony the the um, school administrator saying you can't do that let me explain this to you and he's talking down to the dad saying you know there are laws here and not even realizing that okay if that's the case sir why is this in school with my kids and uh, well, there's
2: another
1: woman with the same story that we covered a few weeks back right who had the same thing happen she showed up to tell the story yeah.
0: about what her daughter had gone through and got
1: the same reaction you can't say that
0: here it's like what <laughs> yeah. right they and they don't realize that they're basically defeating themselves with that comment. So that's just one area. And and the content is very it's pornographic really. A lot of it's agenda driven as well and so parents are rightly concerned about that. And you know, for them to be treated in that way and not be taken seriously, it's it shows just the the divide that is happening right now with schools that the defenses can be up so high, right? And you're just immediately in defensive mode when all people should agree on this highly sexualized content that it should not be anywhere near our kids. It just shouldn't even be a question. Um, but that is an interesting development, of course, a storyline that we'll continue to report on uh, over on CBN News and, and Faithwire. But um, the recent Roe ruling may be having more than one positive side effect. Now, Billy, besides just making abortions illegal and thus obviously lower, there's a side effect that may be, be contributing to you know making it even lower than than that.
1: Yeah, this is really intriguing. I I love these kinds of surveys because they give us a snapshot into what people are actually feeling and thinking right now. And this is a survey from the Generation Lab in Axios. They went to 18 to 29 year olds. They spoke with um, around 900 of them to ask a number of questions, men and women, about how they would be impacted if their state where they live were to ban abortion. And what they found was, quote, when a place makes abortion illegal or inaccessible, people are going. To change their behavior. Now, my natural question when I saw that was, what does that look like? How does the behavior change? And so a number of stats, obviously, these are young people, 18 to 29 years old. They tend to be a little more on the progressive side. Sixty percent of the women they surveyed were very upset about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to strike down Roe v. Wade. Um, but, but here's where it gets Really, really interesting. Both the men and the women talked about the changes they would make in their sex life as a result of their state hypothetically banning abortion. 32% of the women who were surveyed said that they would actually... Alter how often they have sex. So that's really notable. 23% of men, so a lower proportion, they said the same. Um, But there were some other behavior changes. 29% of women said that they will change how they choose sexual partners. And 37% said that state bans on abortion would impact their use of birth control. And so when you put that all in its collective whole, the Generation Lab reported that more than half of women would alter sex or birth control behaviors if their state were to ban abortion. Um, Again, men were less likely to report those changes, but even 38% of men said that it would impact their condom use. 24% said it would change how they choose sex partners. So all of these statistics in light of the fact that culture is so crazy On this issue of sex, you know, we know as Christians that God created sex to be a gift. It's between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Culture, of course, is a very different idea about that. Um, And so here you have this ruling, this abortion ruling, and a lot of people are weeping. There's a lot of gnashing of teeth over this and frustration. But yet people are self-reporting that their behaviors will actually change potentially In some positive ways, right? I mean, fewer partners, maybe thinking more deeply about who you're having sex with. These are things that actually are healthy for people, not only you know physically, but also spiritually. So really interesting poll that I'm sure is being spun in a negative direction. Uh, but really, I think there's some some real positives in here.
0: Yeah. And I think because uh, that's been sort of a joke, uh, a meme, the, the whole up, oh, you know, the, the bunch of women after Roe were saying, you know, the presumably on the um, pro-abortion side saying, well, I'm, we're just going to not have sex anymore. And, and then people are responding going, oh, okay. You know, that's okay. That's not the own you think it is, right? I mean, as Christians, of course, we're, we're thinking, Hey, unless you're married, that's what that activity is for. So if that's the way you want to play it, Abstinence is a thing we've been talking about for quite some time now. so welcome aboard and so and so it's so we don't disagree there like, okay, that's fine. that's a good thing in our eyes and they think that you know, they just don't understand how we see that issue. the fact that people are going to do that it's it's that's a positive development from the Christian worldview, I would think
1: we have to see how this plays out in real time right This yeah. is what people are saying right now about how they feel uh, but again, You know, we have a culture that's telling people sleep with whoever you want to do whatever you want. You get to be the arbiter of your own truth. And that's not reality. There's a there's a cost to pay. And abortion is just part of that, unfortunately.
0: Isn't it? I'll just make a comment on Hollywood here. That is one pet peeve I have on Hollywood. That is how relationships are portrayed so often. Guy meets girl. They have a fun time for 10 minutes and they end up in the sack. That's just how it ends up every time. And, And and it's that that is such a common way to paint relationships that subconsciously that's what sets the standard on oh well if you, if you have nothing else guiding you that's what sets the standard of how a relationship should go oh we we were laughing today i guess that means we should end up in bed you know and it's sad that, right? that that's the way it is but i mean look if something if it takes something like this for that narrative to change then you know i'm not going to complain i'll take it well and yet loneliness abounds right that it's the most lonely yeah. generation on the face of the earth right so. the most connected yet the most lonely how ironic is that so all right, well, let's head into the main thing today. President Joe Biden is making a trip overseas to try and strengthen ties to Israel. He said, quote, the connection between Israeli people and the American people is bone deep. It's bone deep. CBN's Chris Mitchell has long been stationed there in Jerusalem, and he's been covering this Biden trip. And John Stolnes chatted with him about all the angles that are happening there on today's main thing.
3: As we speak, President Biden is in the Middle East for his first visit to Israel as Commander-in-Chief, meeting with Prime Minister Yair Lapid and former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, also with Palestinian leaders, and then to Saudi Arabia for meetings with the oil-rich nation, a visit that has drawn quite a bit of controversy given the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi that the Saudi crown prince is believed to have orchestrated. Joining me to talk about the president's trip to the Middle East is CBN News Jerusalem Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell. So Chris, the president comes to Israel and meets with a government that really has fallen apart over the last couple of weeks. How has the government managed to function or how will it function over these next few weeks until new elections are held in the fall? And Given the state of the government, how has that affected their reception of President Biden?
2: On the surface, it's, it's been a very good meeting, I think, despite the fact that the uh, government is an interim government. Uh, Yir Lapid is an acting prime minister. He's only in office until the next election. And then when the next coalition government is, uh, is uh, enacted into, uh, into office, uh, that could be four months because uh, the elections will be on November 1st. And then it takes several weeks, if not a few months for a new government to be um, to be <laughs> sworn in. Uh, so it, over the surface, they've done well and uh, they've had to dish- deal with a couple of uh, major issues. But I'm sure we'll get into that.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I guess as the president comes over to the Middle East for this four day trip, starting, of course, in Israel. Regarding his time spent where you are, what is the main objective or are the main objectives for his visit there?
2: Well, I think the main objective for the, uh, for the United States, uh, are, they have a couple of main objectives. I, they say that the Jerusalem Declaration was the centerpiece of the visit. They want to make sure that this uh, bond between Israel and the U.S. is affirmed. Uh, that's one thing. But the other thing, I think, for both the U.S. and Israel will be the, the uh, issue of Iran. Uh, Yair Lapid made the point uh, in front of President Biden that a credible military option needs to be on the table, that diplomacy is not enough, words are not enough. Uh, and this kind of contrast with uh, US President Biden who really feels diplomacy is the main way to get it. They both agree that Iran, uh, they don't want Iran to become a nuclear power, but they certainly differ on how to do that and, uh, and what measures need to be taken to do that. As, as I said, Lapid says, the military options gotta be on the table, Iran has to know. That, uh, that a military strike against its Iran, uh, its nuclear facilities is, uh, is a credible threat. Um, some people argue that in the past 18 months, the Biden administration really hasn't had a robust military option on the table. Instead, they've gone to diplomacy and, uh, and these Iranian nuclear uh, negotiations that so far haven't seemed to bear any fruit.
3: Well, well, the president was asked about that during an interview that he did with with an Israeli news outlet where he was asked point blank, if it comes down to it, would the United States consider a use of force against Iran? And how did the the president seem to respond in the affirmative? But but it was it was certainly not as forceful as we've heard other presidents say it in years past. Exactly.
2: He did say that as a last resort. Then, uh, then a military option would be would be on the table. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, how uh, how robust that military option is, and does it uh, does Iran really sense or fear a U.S. military strike in addition to Israel, or that it would support Israel if Israel goes ahead and uh, launches a military strike? And the time clock is uh, ticking right now, John. You know, a lot of people say that uh, Iran's getting closer and closer to enrich uranium to weapons grade and uh, enough enrich uranium to make a nuclear weapon. Many people make the point, it's gonna take maybe a, a year to weaponize that, put it on a ballistic missile, but still Israel sees the clock ticking. Mm-hmm. The president also made the point during that interview
3: that uh, the Iranian nuclear weapons program has progressed since the United States pulled out of the, the nuclear deal with, under, under President Trump. And he blamed his predecessor for the fact that Iran has moved the ball further down the field at this point. How does the Israeli government feel about that argument and the Israeli people feel about that argument? Obviously, there's going to be some disagreement in a, uh, among that many different uh groups of people. But just largely speaking, is, is there a sense that there's some truth to that, that the ball did get moved further down the, the, the field because the United States pulled out?
2: I think they uh, I think they would probably go with the Trump administration's view that the so-called maximum pressure campaign uh, really had Iran on the ropes economically and that it was affecting their uh, nuclear program. And I know the White House and sort of from a Democrat uh, point of view. They feel like uh, the Trump administration really, uh, by pulling out of the JCPOA, uh, really allowed Iran to go ahead and, uh, and violate, you know, the terms that they, uh, they had agreed to and, and continue enriching uranium to uh, higher and higher levels. Uh, you know, that debate is still going on. And uh, the question is, what's going to happen? And, and will uh, Israel be able to stop Iran's nuclear program. Everybody agrees it should be, uh, should be done. Question is, how do we do it?
3: You also mentioned a few minutes ago the I2U2 group uh, meeting together for their first official discussions together over there in Israel. Can you just explain a little bit more who's in that group and why these meetings are so important?
2: Well, they're so important because uh, it's sort of a regional group. It, it's the United States, it's Israel, it's the UAE and India, and they had the leaders of India and the UAE you know, uh, by uh, b- virtually uh, by Zoom or Skype or satellite, uh, they talked about food security. They talked about regional issues, regional infrastructure, uh, and that will be, you know, to buttress or uh, be a bulwark against the Iranian uh, influence in the region. And so that was uh, one part of the uh, the visit so far. And then tomorrow, once uh, once Biden gets to Saudi Arabia, I think they'll expand on those, uh, those issues. The president
3: is also expected to meet with Palestinian leaders at some point, correct? What is, what is he likely to hear from them? How do you see those
2: conversations playing out? Uh, well, two things. Uh, tomorrow, he'll be heading to uh, Eastern Jerusalem. And I, I use that word purposely because when you talk about Jerusalem, many people say East Jerusalem with the understanding of the implication that East Jerusalem will be the capital of a future Palestinian state. Now, tomorrow, Biden will be going to a place called Augusta Victoria Hospital. Uh, that's on the eastern side of uh, uh, of Jerusalem. In fact, I'm looking at the Mount of Olives right now. It's not too far from the In fact, I'm looking at the Augusta Victoria Hotel, mm-hmm. uh, Hospital, and, uh, and that is in eastern Jerusalem. He will not take any Israeli officials there. Uh, and uh, for... Israelis uh, who believe that Israel, Jerusalem is an undivided capital. They believe that that violates Israeli sovereignty, and also they believe that it uh, gives the Palestinians the understanding that th- the U.S. will recognize uh, Eastern Jerusalem as a capital of a future Palestinian state. After that, he will go to Bethlehem. He'll meet with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, and uh, that will be one way I think the administration will push forward their desire to have a two-state solution, what they call two states living by side and side, side-by-side side in peace and security. Uh, the people who are not sure about that, believe that um, uh, you know they've been trying this two-state solution for a long time and it really hasn't worked. Uh, David Friedman, he's the former US ambassador uh, uh, to Israel Uh, He made a statement in his book uh, called Sledgehammer after he got out of office. He said, you know, uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. He said in the State Department, that's called diplomacy. And uh, a lot of people say, you know, we've been trying this two state solution for 20 years or so. And it hasn't worked. And they point to sort of the intransigence of, uh, of the Palestinians that they, They really don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution. Certainly, it's true for Hamas and the Gaza Strip, and uh, and many people would argue the Palestinian Authority as well. But all this is going to be to progress this whole idea of a two-state solution.
3: So the last part of
2: his journey is going
3: to be obviously hitting Saudi Arabia, and it's not come with a little bit of controversy, uh, specifically with the killing of Jamal Khashoggi uh, and, uh, and the, the Saudi Crown Prince's involvement in that and dealing with oil prices. It's gonna make a lot of headlines. What are you anticipating will come out of his trip over to Saudi Arabia?
2: Well, probably a photo op uh, and perhaps a, a handshake between the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and, uh, and President Biden, uh, there was a sense that when he was coming over on Air Force One, there was talk about that the president won't be shaking hands with anybody. The implication for some was that, uh, you know, that would avoid him actually having to shake hands with uh, MBS, the uh, crown prince. Well, within a few minutes after he was on the ground, he had shaken hands with uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and then he's been shaking hands uh, all the way through the rest of his visit. So... Uh, all that to say, there might be an awkward uh, photo op between uh, the two. Uh, Joe Biden has called uh, Saudi Arabia a pariah nation. He released that report implicating the crown prince in the in the uh, killing of Jamal Khashoggi. So uh, it will be it will be a perhaps a tense meeting, uh, but it's going to be a meeting nonetheless. And I think Joe Biden's going there in order to have Saudi Arabia in- increase its production to be able to get uh, lower gas prices like you're paying uh, when you go to the gas pump.
3: Well, it is certainly going to make some headlines and uh, either way, this is an important trip for President Biden and for trying to stabilize the region and uh, maintain a solid relationship between the United States and Israel. Folks, make sure you are checking out all of Chris Mitchell's outstanding reporting on the president's visit. All of his reporting is over at cbnnews.com and you can also catch Jerusalem Dateline. The full show is over at cbnnews.com as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining me
0: today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Great to be with you. Okay, Chris and John, thank you so much for that information. And that leaves us with time here for one last thing. And Billy, we've got a miracle kid.
1: Oh my gosh, this is a crazy <laughs> story. It's Shaylee Edwards. She was three years old in 2019. And long story short, she and her father were hit by a car. Mm. Uh, she had severe brain injury as a result of this. Doctors thought she would never open her eyes again, speak again, eat again, walk again. And here we are just two years later. Not only is she speaking and, eating and talking again but she just graduated kindergarten and you know she's continuing to fight she's got a lot of recovery still but her parents are elated and it's really just an incredible story even the doctor who said you know i'm a person of science but i'll say this is a miracle yeah pretty cool
0: fantastic stuff and there are a lot of great quotes in that and you have it in the article over on faithwire.com i would encourage people to go check that out now but that is all the time we have for this episode of the quick start podcast thank you so much for being here and, um hey, we made it through Friday here. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, as we always say, we will see you back here on Monday. Don't forget to stop over to CBNNews.com and FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. See you Monday.